Welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on Brian Yandel, also known as Officer Ross, also known as the Rink Shrink, if you listen to the podcast Spittin' Chicklets. And what an awesome episode this was. Brian grew up right outside of Boston, Massachusetts, played his high school hockey out there before going to prep school at Cushing. He was a four-year player at UNH, where he was also an All-American. Brian uh, played a couple years of professional hockey, and now he's got a couple kids in it, still lives out in the Boston area, and is a youth hockey coach out there, youth program director, and he also hosts the podcast Rink Shrinks with his buddy Mike Motto, and it's an awesome podcast. Do a lot of the similar stuff to what we do. Brian's an awesome guy, but before we do get over to him, let's bring on another awesome guy in Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today, man? You know, Tof, I just got back from the first hot yoga session I've done in a couple years. My God, have you done one of those lately? Not lately, but I've done one, yeah. My God, this place in St. Louis, it's like right near my gym. They have the room at 106 degrees and then somehow pump in 60% humidity. I was, you know, I'm a disgustingly sweaty human. And I was just like, it looked like I was like pissing down my knees and like sweat just dripping to the mat. I had two towels. I came prepared. Didn't matter. They're absolutely soaked, but it was unreal. I feel I, I don't love yoga like people who do it like a lot, um, but I go on every once in a while, man. I love it. I felt great. It's funny. So the year in between myself graduating college and playing my first year of pro, I did uh, yoga like three, four times a week. Mm-hmm. I like actually committed to doing it. Yeah. I honestly had never felt so good going into a season before in my entire life. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I should rephrase how I said what the statement I just said. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't only suggest someone to do only yoga. I believe in strength training big time. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing that too. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's what I was trying to say. Like, I don't want to tell people you should only do yoga. It's good. As long as I, you know, you're doing other type of training too, but yeah, man, like, but I left there and like heart rate just through my, through the roof, like leaking everywhere. Went outside. It was like 55 degrees, sat in the sun with the people I did the class with. And it was just awesome. It was a, it was a good feeling. So people out there who are looking for a new challenge. If you haven't done hot yoga, like I really enjoyed it. And afterwards felt like a uh, release. It was pretty cool. It sounds like you're almost like back to normalcy down there. Right? <laughs> well, dude, I mean, when you, I, the, you had to walk in with the mask on. But as soon as you got in there, you could take the mask off. I was like, okay, what did that do? We're all in this room together now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty normal. Unreal, man. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, that's, that's so cool. Um, I want to get into this podcast here because this was a fun one for us. Um, you know, Brian and, and Mike, they have their podcast, The Ring Shrinks, and, and they've both been on Spitting Chicklets and have talked about some, <laughs> some of the crazy stuff that happens in youth hockey. And, and Brian and I have gone back and forth a couple different times over social media, just kind of saying, hey, love the stuff you're doing. And, and uh, glad to get him on the podcast because it, it is funny. Like, you get high-level hockey people talking youth hockey, and it's always like, 
people just settle down, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, you don't have to have everything figured out by the age of, of 12, or you don't have to have everything figured out by the age of 16, even, you know, like everybody's got a different path and, and he's grown, uh, he's grown such a following with the ring shrink, uh, podcast that he's been doing. And, and, uh, it's just really cool to get him on here to talk about his experiences in youth hockey, both growing up as a hockey director. Now he's got kids in it. And, and again, it, it always just goes back to it, right? Like every freaking person we have on male, female, whatever that has played hockey at the oldest ages. It's like, yep, my parents didn't put pressure on me. Um, I, my path was probably the longer path and I had to fight some stuff along the way, but you know, I ended up getting it because I love the game and uh, I just think it's such an amazing message. Weird. (laughs) But we say every single episode for what 150 plus episodes now that we've done. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And I really hope that I know we have a lot of passionate listeners. I hope anybody's listening, like, either tell other people that are kind of like you think are crazy like hey you ever heard of this like maybe it'll help them realize that they're crazy and maybe they can you know relax and enjoy the the youth hockey experience a little bit more um you know listening to all these high level people that we bring on like brian absolutely absolutely and uh yeah, it's just, it's that time of year again, you know, it's, uh, it's getting to be that time where everybody's trying to figure out what team they're going to be on next year. And so everybody gets a little bit extra, you know, extra nutty. And, uh, I, I think this conversation will be a nice calming refresher, if that's what you want to call it for a lot of the parents out there that, that are going to listen, because again, at the end of the day, like a decision you make right now for your kid is not going to determine the rest of their life. Like, remember that take a big, deep breath just like Jeff's hot yoga class and just understand, Hey, like, what's your, why, why are you putting your kid in youth sports? Why are you putting your kid in youth hockey? Like have a glass of wine tonight with your, your husband or your wife. And, and, you know, just realize it's not the end of the world one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if I've ever even told this story, but I think I was a squirt because it's like right. Exactly. What we're talking about right now. I was a squirt. Maybe I might, I don't know. And, uh, I think a squirt and my dad was going to coach and I was on the borderline between like a one and a two, not even double a like a one and a two. And because I was like one of the lower guys on the a one, maybe he's like, well, I'll just, I'll take him on a two and I'll coach him there. Like, <laughs> you know, like people nowadays, be like all oh, freaking out. I feel like a lot of people, you know what I mean? It's like, dude, I was playing a two hockey, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Like there's no timeline for anyone, you know, enjoy it, have fun, try and find the best coach. Like Tope always talks about. Oh, it's that time of year. Crazy. (laughs) There is actually one other thing I wanted to talk about on here before we head over to Brian. Um, So I don't know. Did you see it on social media the other day when this guy like kind of came at me for one of my videos, my little things videos? No, but (laughs) I'm going to immediately look at it. It was really funny, dude. So like I had like three or four texts from people um, and I'm talking, you know, like kind of like college NHL people being like, who is this guy? Because I did a video the other day. So Chris Kreider, he, um, he scored a hat trick in, in a game. I believe it was Thursday night for the Rangers and all three of the goals that he scored were literally from the crease, like literally from the crease. So I said, Hey, if you want to score goals, like get to the net with your stick on the ice and good things are going to happen. Um, which I think is pretty 
commonplace. <laughs> I think everybody yep. would say that. Yeah. And so I had like three or four texts. I wasn't by my phone about like, who is this guy? What's he doing? And uh, so he basically said something to the effect of like, you know, those were two of them were power play goals. And uh, you know, the other one, the situation, it was actually the wrong play. And, and like he, something to that effect. And he, then he said something, he said like, not to be a D-I-C-K, but blah, 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 blah. That's not how you teach kids, or these are not the right clips to teach kids about scoring goals. And so I'm like, oh did God. he really just say that? So like, first of all, like, no, you like going to the net with your stick on the ice. That's a good thing. We should all be teaching that, <laughs> you know, like, and then I had Mike Towns actually, he's a Cisco to Clarkson. He sent me a picture of like, analytics where it was like 59% of the goals are scored right there in the uh, NHL, boom, you know, roasted. And, and it's funny because like, it, to be honest, like he had some sort of merit based on like situations about how something was amiss, like two of them were power play goals. Right. So, okay. And then one of them, like if they missed the net, then the other team would have went the other way because there was a defenseman that was stepping up, but it's like, don't say it like that. Like why, why say it like that? And I actually love when people will email me or come at me, not come at me, but like um, message me on social media about certain clips being like, I don't understand. Or like, I actually think of this or whatever, but him being like, oh, well, not to be a dick or anything, but, uh, <laughs> and so I was just like, oh my God, but it was hilarious. But, but the, the great part about it is that literally later that day, Adam Nicholas, or no, sorry, not later that day, but the next day, Adam Nicholas texts me because he had an issue with one of the clips that I put up there and he asked me a question about it. And so we went back and forth on, tw on, uh, like on text for like, I don't know, an hour, uh, about a little clip about shooting in stride. And I learned something from him and it was great. And we had a great dialogue. So like, if you want to get better, first of all, like, it's awesome to reach out to people that like know stuff. And that's why I, like, why I love the podcast. And I'm always trying to ask people who I feel like are really smart about certain things, but like, don't try to sound smart. Like if that's your goal is putting people down to sound smart, which always happens on social media, like all you're doing, like when you're saying not to be a dick, when you say that you're probably being one, you know? <laughs> So Hope is triggered right now. So wow. it's like, and I'm not going to say the guy's name, but it's just, it's just why bring people down? Like healthy discussion is a good thing. Like disagreeing with people is actually a good thing, but the way you go about it is very important. And if you try to like score points by making them sound dumb and making yourself feel smart, that is the worst way, the worst way about like, if you, especially if you want to like get somewhere in this business, it's about building relationships. And if you're known as somebody that's like, thinks they're a know-it-all and like puts people down, you ain't getting anywhere. So it was just really funny. I feel a little triggered right now. It's kind of nice. Um, awesome. Uh, I just watched, I went to Twitter while you were on your uh, tirade there, which I absolutely loved. Well done. I love seeing you get angry. Uh, or not, not angry, but uh, you know, fiery, passionate, shall I say. Um, and all three goals, like what you said was go to the net with your stick on the ice and all three goals are him going to the net and he scored because he's going to the net with the stick on the ice, like ready for something to happen. All three goals. Like it's clearly a great example of what you were saying right there. Right. <laughs> like, and that's the other thing. Like, 
don't overcomplicate the game of hockey, please. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're trying to sound smart on social media, like just don't, like don't overcomplicate it. You know, th- there's a difference between like getting into the details and overcomplicating it, you know? And I feel like the best coaches or skills directors or, or teachers, they, they find a way to take the complex and make it digestible for people um, to, to learn so they can grasp it. And it's not actually talking at them, but it's talking with them and talking to them. Because if you just talk to sound smart and the student or the player doesn't understand and they're not going to get better, then you're not a good coach. I don't care how smart you are. You're not a good coach. So find a way to communicate where people know what you're talking about. And like when I read his thing, I had to read it six times before I understood what he was saying. It's just, that's not the way to go about it. So it's just, I don't know. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I I love, I love TT triggered toe. Big fan of TT. It doesn't happen often. Doesn't happen often. I like it though. I like it though. But there's times. But also too, like when you're, when you're making those videos on social media, you're making them like for the masses that it's like, you know, this generally works for most people. You know, it's not like you're talking about whoever a guy who has an unbelievable one-timer and on a three on two, maybe they should really look to use his one-timer. It's like, all right, this is a statement for kind of like everyone. If you go to the net with your stick on the ice, good things happen. You know, it's a, it's a blanket statement that is pretty true at all times, but obviously there's also little tiny gray areas and there's going to be all of those with everything. You're trying to help as many people as you can with those videos and take time out of your day to do them. And, you know, people got to understand the context as well. Oh, I appreciate those videos. I learned from those videos. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Before we do get over to Brian, uh, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors. And this first one, we're going to thank icehockeysystems.com. And the drill of the week that we're going to do this week is from their website. And it's a 2v2 rebound battle drill. And uh, I like I like a drill where, especially like kind of when you're thinking about in zone type stuff, where there is some sort of a one-on-one race to a puck where the person who gets the puck gets to be on offense. I think puck retrievals nowadays are, I mean, they've always been, but puck retrievals are just so important. It's all about puck possession in today's day and age. And the more you can win those races to get the puck and keep the puck, um, it's uh, it's absolutely huge. So it's a 2v2 rebound. And basically what happens, you got two players and the coach is going to shoot a puck on net and the goalie It's actually kind of good for the goalies because the goalie's got to work on their rebounds and steer the puck with their stick to one, one corner or the other. And then it's just a race to go get the puck. And the person who gets to the puck first gets to be on offense and they can use a, somebody on their team who's standing at the top of the circles um, to go play on offense. So then it's like a two on one at the net and then it can continue to progress where, you know, if the defender ends up getting the puck, then he can use the person on his side to make it into a two on two. So it's just a nice little start to the drill where there's a puck battle, a a one-on-one race to, to go and want to get the puck first. And then you get rewarded for getting the puck first with an offensive situation for a two on one. And then uh, if you play well defensively, then you can get it back and use your player and and then make it into a two on two. So um, just a cool little drill that uh, I actually do a lot of this type of stuff. I love starting in zone drills with a puck race or a puck battle. Um, We do it all the time. And uh, so this one is on icehockeysystems.com. Vex, what do you think? 
literally this would have been like one of my favorite drills. Like I love this drill because especially in pro hockey, like passes happen quickly offensively. And if you're on the defensive side, like you got to race to the puck, you got to get it to your teammate. And then uh, like, if there's a pro pros doing this or like higher level guys, you be like, you have to play fast here because this is kind of a situation where you're coming out of the quarter down low quickly. So to make it game, like, it's like, this is where we really want to focus on being fast, quick decisions. And like, that's how you score goals at the higher levels. Everything happens so quickly. So like, this is a very game like situation type drill. I really like this. Yeah, for sure. And it's good too, because I know some teams, especially at the higher levels, they have kind of like an out of if there is like a battle going on in the corner, they know where the person in the soft area is going to be. Like some people talk about like a dot release. Some people talk about getting on the wall and then like putting it up the boards or even getting it all the way up to the point. They know that they're going to rim it one way or the other and the D have to be ready um, for that rim to relieve that pressure. So I just think those little bat, first of all, those battles, those one-on-one races to get to pucks, so important. Like, and you can tell, you can tell as a coach, the players that really want to get to the puck first, and you can Mm -hmm. tell the players that kind of take a different route to get to the puck where it's not necessarily a straight shot to get there. They're taking the long way. So they're, you know, not going to get hit or not going to have contact when they get there. Um, But yeah, I I just think those one-on-one races, they, a lot of times they determine a hockey game, just those little one-on-one battles. So I love anything that has to do with that. And then you can work on those little offensive tendencies like you're talking about as well. Yeah. And, and I like that you can make it so that it's flowing back and forth. You know, that first guy, the first two on one happens. If that D man gets a puck, he passes it up. Now maybe one guy has to drop off and you can do different uh, progressions, regressions to where it could just go back and forth. And then you can add in a competition aspect. You know, everybody goes on offense once everybody goes on defense once whoever's winning at the end, uh, you know, losers got to do uh, a sprint down and back or something like put some pride on the line. So like you're checking off so many boxes with the progressions and regressions of this drill. I, re- I like that one a lot. Progression and regression. You're such a strength coach. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right well yeah thank you to icehockeysystems.com those guys are awesome like they're unreal i just love the stuff that they do they provide such an awesome service uh to the hockey community at large and and we're going to be doing more stuff with them in the future um so thank you to them thank you to gel sticks our title sponsor go to gelsticks.com g-e-l-s-t-x.com also unbelievable people that are working at that company uh, go to their website and check out what they have in terms of weighted training sticks. They do lacrosse, they do golf. They have so many different things going on. Um, and it's funny, like a huge theme of this conversation was play multiple sports. I think we talked about that at the beginning of the episode for a lot. So there's a lot of stuff that you can buy with gel sticks. <laughs> and, yeah. Use uh, use the coupon code ThinkTank, one word, for a discount on your weighted training lacrosse stick, hockey stick, golf club, whatever it may be. Awesome, awesome company with awesome people. Thank you to Train Heroic, Jeff's training app. And also, before we head over to Brian, I do want to say, man, again, I feel like a lot of this, this episode is going to get to a lot of parents. And I just want to reiterate, it's so crazy because today – uh, where we're recording this intro is actually my youngest daughter's she's 18 months old today. And the fact that Lucy is 18 months old, I mean, maybe it's just because you're in a fog when you have two kids under four, (laughs) especially one that's that young. Um, but man, time flies. So just remember to take it in and remember to enjoy it. Uh, There are so many times and I have so many, 
I, and I feel like I get a lot of conversations of people coming to me for advice when they're in times of stress. So I'm having more of those kinds of conversations than of the parents that are just okay with what's going on and just along for the ride and excited and happy with stuff. Um, so I, I kind of maybe see a little bit more of the, the, the stressfulness that, that parents have to deal with as youth hockey or youth sports parents. Um, but man, just thinking of Lucy being 18 months old today um, and just how fast it goes, it was just a huge reminder to me to, to live in the moment and to soak it in and, and to really enjoy it. And it's not easy. Um, having kids is so hard uh, a lot of times and it takes a lot and you sacrifice a lot. But at the end of the day, you know, to, to be able to live in the moment and be present with your kids, um, I don't think there's anything better than that. So happy little 18 months, Lucy Goose. Um, we had so much fun on this podcast with Brian Yandel, the ring shrink. He's an unbelievable guy. You guys are going to absolutely love this, this podcast episode. And if you do love our podcast, we encourage you guys to listen to, to ring shrinks as well. Uh, they're doing a fantastic thing too. So, uh, without further ado, here we go with Brian Yandel. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast all the way from Boston, Massachusetts, Brian Yandel, the rink shrink. Brian, what's going on today? <laughs> How are we doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Uh, pumped to have you, man. We're, uh, we're really looking forward to this conversation and, and uh, you know, promoting some of the awesome stuff that you guys are doing as well. Uh, obviously, got the chance to go on Spitting Chicklets and, and tell some funny stories about the, the craziness of, of youth hockey. And now you guys have your own podcast with Mike Motto, The Ring Shrinks, that uh, are doing a lot of the similar stuff that we're doing. So I'm um, really excited to have you on and get your perspective on the game. And, and uh, just to kind of start it off, to introduce you to everybody that don't know you, um, you grew up right outside of Boston. And, and grew up in a big hockey family. Uh, dad played, and, and just from hearing some of the stories and some of the podcasts you've been on, sounds like he was a pretty awesome hockey guy. Um, brother played, uncle, just all, all about it. So how did you end up falling in, uh, in love with the game? Yeah, so once again, guys, thanks for having me. I uh, really enjoy what you guys are doing. I think, you know, a lot of the messages that we're trying to send is, is very similar. So I'm psyched to be here. And uh, yeah, I guess my path into hockey was as long as I can remember. I mean, really, probably when I was in diapers, my father was a was a high school coach. He had played at Boston College for a few years, and then uh, had a bit of a falling out. I think in the in, with the coaches and things like that. Maybe some disciplinary reasons. We've never really dove too far into that, but yeah. <laughs> He, you know, he started coaching mass high school hockey and, and we just loved it. We were the kids that always tagged along. We're fortunate enough to always go to the rink with my father and, and just, you know, as long as we can remember, it was, it was hockey time, hockey 24 uh, seven. The one thing that my father and one of the things that we stress, and I know you guys do as well is, you know, we always did take time away and, and, you know, we didn't play summer terms and different things like that, but we just love the game and we're really passionate about it. I love that. And that's one thing you guys talk a lot about on, on your podcast. You've been able to get some pretty cool people on there. And, and one of the big things you ask them is how many sports did you play growing up? Talk to, talk to us about that. And everybody did. And that's just such a dying thing nowadays with how professionalized it's gotten. Like just in, in speaking with so many people that you have, how important do you think it is just for kids that have the chance to get away, play multiple sports for so many different reasons. Right. I mean, I think, I mean, Mont says it best and he always talks about, um, you know, those transferable skills. And it's just, I mean, obviously the skills and the athleticism and all those different pieces. I mean, Jeff, I know you're involved in, in, in workouts and gyms and things like that. And these kids, they need to be athletes. And that's what it is first and foremost. So no matter what they're doing, they should be constantly out there playing. And that's our message. And that's what they should be 
striving for, whether it's baseball, lacrosse, basketball, anything, you know what I mean? Try different sports, try different things. Um, you know, when I went to Cushing, we started playing JV tennis. You know what I mean? I played tennis. I'd never played before really in my life. And it was a blast. You know what I mean? And again, our competitive nature that we've learned throughout the years from hockey ended up helping us with that. You know what I mean? Here I am losing to some, uh, you know, little JV prep school kid that's probably in like the seventh grade. You know what I mean? That I want to just hit over the head with my racket. But, you know, it, you, you, you're like, I, I got to get good with this thing, you know? So it, again, the those transferable skills I think are so important. And it's also just great to just get away from the rink. You know what I mean? I think so many kids nowadays are burnt out and they're spent by the time they get to that 15, 16 year old years, um, they're done, you know, and you see it, you see that fallout factor, not just because of body contact and things like that. I think the, the pressure the parents are putting on kids and they're working around the clock in hockey, it just becomes like, you know what, I'm all set when really the windows there's still a big gap there, right? You coached in college, like at, at, at 15 years old, you still have five years before you can really, you know, most kids are going to college if they want to play at the division one and division three level, you know, where a lot of these kids around here are kind of like, Hey, I'm all set. I'm done. And too, like, I think some, a lot of parents don't think about maybe your kids way better at another sport. So they're playing hockey year round. You don't even give them the chance. Maybe they're an unbelievable tennis player or basketball player or golfer. Not only are you going to make them a better hockey player by playing other sports and work on all these other translatable skills to hockey, uh, they might be better in another sport and then they should be playing that sport. Maybe. Absolutely. No, you're hundred percent right. I think it, 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 it's, you just never know, right? There's some kids that, that, you know, kid Pat Foley I played with who, who, you know, he coached and, we work together now, but Pat went to St. Sebastian, started playing football in the ninth grade. And by his sophomore year, probably could have went anywhere in the country, never played before, you know, he never played. He was just an athlete and was getting letters from BC and Notre Dame and different schools. And, you know, but he was just an athlete and that's that, and you know, it started with hockey and he played, uh, he never played organized football in his life, but he was just an athlete. That's so true. And then the other thing you talked about, just like the burnout factor too, like, I remember like August, September being my most favorite month of the year because that's when hockey season started. And it's almost like, I feel like nowadays, some of the kids, August, September, they're like dreading it because <laughs> now they're upping it and they've already, they're, they're just done because they've been on the ice four or five times a week during the summer. And it's like, we had a guy on, on our podcast, Reed Lowe played for the blues for a long time. And he said something that, that really stuck with me. He said, kids, they don't learn how to miss the game anymore. Um, and, and I just think there's so much value to that. Like there has to be a little bit of an excitement, a little bit, Oh, I got to get back to the rink now, you know? So as you go through maybe like the beginning of August, you start to get some butterflies in the stomach and you're like, Oh, I can't wait for our first practices and to get the jerseys and all that kind of stuff. And now you know, they get the jerseys in June and <laughs> they're, they're on the ice practicing three, four times a week. It's like, it's, they don't miss it anymore. And I'm that's, that's too bad. It's so true. And then, and then something else too, from my side of things where I'm the strength coach, like when we grew up, you know, we'd take at least one or two months off, at least two months for sure. Two months off, no hockey. And, and yeah, and that was standard. And you, so you, you could really focus on playing other sports and getting in the gym and really getting after it and not worrying about the other energy expenditure of playing hockey and still roasting your hips and your lower back from bending over to hold the stick and stuff. And a challenge that I have really found in the last couple of years is some kids are skating four times a week 
even though I'm telling them, I do not want you doing that. Parents are pushing them to do it. They think they're going to fall behind that fear FOMO thing that Tope has written about so eloquently on his hockey think tank website where, you know, just trying to pump your tires. Down eloquently. Now, I like it. Yeah, good word. <laughs> you know, I went to school. That's a serious word. <laughs> I went to school for two and a half years, can you, boys. Can you spell it? <laughs> no. Uh, no uh, Rerudo, Rerudo. Um, but yeah, like, and then it's hard to train guys and get them as strong as you can if they're skating three or four times a week in the summer. So now they're not getting as strong as they could because they think they got to be on the ice in April and March and May. And it's like, what are you guys doing? That's not going to help you long-term. I a hundred percent. And like, I always transfer uh, translate it. Like my father always said to us, it was, Hockey season ended, you know, whatever, middle of March. And it was, guys, the bags are going down the basement. It's baseball season. It's lacrosse season. And, you know, maybe we'll, we'll you know, as you're at the younger ages, obviously you're not working out. But, you know, maybe you do a camp, a Saturday, a clinic, you know, something to work on your game and kind of have fun. Maybe it's a three-on-three league, something like that. But no real pressure situation. And then, like you said, once September came around, it was like, balls to the wall. You were fired up. You know what I mean? You were so excited to get to the rink. And I think... You even see it, and I, 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 you know, I don't like to brag about my brother, but I feel like the reason, you know, one of the main reasons why he's played, and you know, now he's he's you know thirty four years old, yeah, thirty four years old, and he loves going to the rink. Like he is fired up to the go to the rink. He has a smile on his face at all times, and he, you know, he knows he's he's playing a game, but he loves it. And I think a lot of guys, even when they get to that pro level, they're like dude, I'm checked out. Like I made it there. I'm burnt out. And you know, you look at a guy like David Pasternak, like how much fun does he have out there? You know what I mean? The guy's having a ball, you know what I mean? But if he was skating 12 months a year, every week, every day, he'd probably be like, dude, enough is enough. This is awful. You know? Yeah, it's so true. Well, let me ask you this kind of about your, your childhood. Cause you, your dad, um, you know, I'm sure he was a pretty big influence in your guys' lives and, and coached you all the way up. What was that like? Cause you know, we got a lot of parents that listen to podcasts, a lot of parent coaches that listen to the podcast. What was your dad like as a coach? Because I, you know, and you're coaching your own kids now, like that can't be easy. It can't be easy. Like what was the, re- the relationship like between, you know, you and your brother and your dad. And then how have you kind of taken some of those things that you've learned from your dad with seeing how well you guys have done and maybe, you know, take that with, with your own kids. I think a couple of things. He always, um, he never put too much pressure on us. You know what I mean? It was never about us. It was always about the team. Uh, he always surrounded himself with good assistant coaches. And that's something that I've tried to do so that they can maybe pull you aside and, 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 you know, pick you out. Or if you made mistakes, um, you know, try to correct you on it and things like that. So that it's not you constantly harping uh, on, you know, father, son, and, and that strain on that relationship. But we've all, we always just kind of got along and just had a, had a blast and just enjoyed it. We never, um, you know, he never put too much pressure on us yelling at us or, or picking us out in the crowd. I think he was always, um, you know, he held us accountable. Uh, and, and I think that always, you know, that, that, that benefited us. Um, and he also made sure that we all, you know, we were the ones that, you know, if, if they were, you know, he, he was hot on us and he made sure that we did, did drills properly and things like that. But we never, you know, I never felt that added pressure on my father coaching me. That's huge. Huh? 
Like that's, that's so big. I feel, uh, you know, I got young, young ones that aren't playing the game yet, but that, that's one thing that I want to make sure if I do end up coaching my girls is like, it's all got to be about the passion development. Like the more they fall in love with the game and the more that I can help them fall in love with the game, just like you said with you and your brother, just loving the game so much to me, that's like probably your most important job, especially as a parent coach. Definitely. Definitely. As a coach and coaching your kids. I mean, again, I, I, I try not to be too hot on my own, but I try to hold them accountable and I try to coach. Uh, I try to coach all the kids. You know what I mean? I try not to, you, a lot of times I think, you know, guys that aren't real hockey guys, they get caught up in just focusing on their child while they're coaching the, the game. And it's like, that's the last thing you could do. You should be worried about the other 14, 15 kids that are on the ice, you know? And, and again, you have assistant coaches that can support you and help you out. And, and yeah, do I pull my guy aside and say, Hey, you should have chipped it out on the wall there. You, you should have, you know, look back to and use your point or, or whatever that may be. Um, yeah. But I try not to get caught up in, in just being laser focused on my kid. Like, like some parents, I think, unfortunately do they're there for uh, the wrong reasons. They're there just for their kid. And I'm there, you know, I try to be there for, for every kid, no matter what team, no matter, you know, how many kids are on the ice with us. Let me ask you this. The, the older I get, I find myself saying it depends quite a bit because there's every situation is completely different than the next. But as like, a, I guess, a general rule, probably for most people out there, do you think there's a certain age where maybe a dad should stop being a coach of his child in hockey, especially at the more elite levels? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good point, honestly. Like I think so. So my, older guy now is 14 and I've, you know, I've basically said like, Hey, it's time for, for you to stop learning from somebody else and hear a different voice, you know? So, you know, again, I, I try not to be too hot on him, pick on him or, or, or anything like that, but you know, they're getting, you know, it, it's time for him to get prepared to go play high school hockey next year at, at, at some capacity. So to him hear another coach's voice, I think is very important. I think that's also, you know, comes back to those other sports too, right? Like, they asked me, you know, cause they know I coach and stuff. Hey, do you want to coach baseball? I'm like, no, like my kids are sick of hearing from me. Like I want, I want somebody else to, to, to deal with them and, and let them hear voice. And then let me just be the parent and sit there in the, in the outfield with the cooler. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, it would be nice to kind of congregate around a cooler right now. Wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, man, the sun's the sunshine in here today. It's a, it's a nice little day. I'm like this, is this uh, signs of spring? Come on, let's go. Here, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, Vex, one of the things that you said that like, I find myself saying a lot and Brian, I, I would imagine you too, is like the whole, it depends thing because every, every path is different. You know, every, every kid matures at different rates. Every kid has different backgrounds. Every kid's put in different situations and you know, it's, it's tough at times. And I'm, you guys, I'm sure get asked all the time, like, what should I do with my kid? You know, and it's never the same answer. Um, and uh, which, which makes things a little bit tough, I think, for a lot of families out there um, who are just looking to do what's best for their son or their daughter. And I feel like, God, there's so much information out there now that it can just make you go batty. <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you just kind of about your journey, um, because I feel like Boston is a little crazy right now with the amount of options there are for kids. You know, do I play mass high school hockey? Do I go to prep school? When do I go to juniors? Do I go right to college? Like there's 18 different freaking junior leagues and teams and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, it's, it's very, very confusing, you know? So like going through your kind of journey, you played mass high school hockey, and then you took the prep school route and then went right 
into uh, UNH. What was that experience like for you, like in kind of navigating that process? And then are you getting those questions a lot from people out in the Boston area right now, just trying to figure out what to do? Yeah, I think first, you know, first of all, the the different options in the, you know, the junior hockey and the prep school and all those different things, there's, it, there's a lot of confusion out there. And I, I honestly, I barely understand it. And I was a, a program director six years ago and this. It's changed so much since then, uh, which is, it, it really is, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in the high school hockey and prep schools around here. Obviously we're, we're very fortunate to have great schools in the area. Uh, in terms of my path, I, you know, I played, youth hockey. I was, you know, funny story, actually. So I was that, uh, an 83 birth year, but I was like the grade behind, uh, Ryan Whitney and Brian McConnell, who was a captain of BU and another great player. Like we, you know, we played together and some of, some of the other guys in that grade. So in eighth grade at the time, there really wasn't anything going on. And like I said, those guys were already at Thayer Academy and Nobles and different prep schools or different, uh, CM, BC high places like that. So the middle, you know, we played our split season and then there was really no teams. There was no, there wasn't, you know, for anything for me to play. So in the middle of that year, um, as guys were trying out for high school, I'm like, dad, what, what am I going to do? He's like, well, you keep skating and, and whatever. I'm like, yeah, but I got to play. Like I got to play games. So I actually went and played out for like the Minuteman flames and would just play some games would play like prep school, JV teams, a seventh and eighth grade freshman teams, all those different places. And then I played basketball. Like my father was like, just play basketball. It's good for you. And I'm like, I've never played basketball before in my life besides just hanging out at the park. He's like, yeah, it's just Milton youth basketball, basketball be good for you. It's good skills. You got to run, you got to jump, you got to, you know, mobility wise, this, that, and the other thing. It's, it, it's great. You know? So I'm like, all right. And it was, it was probably one of the best things I ever did because I was like, holy, sh you know, Holy whatever, I stink at this. What like I better I better you know really focus and dial in on my hockey. And then as it was coming time to um, make the decision to go to you know high school, um, you know I I wanted to go the Catholic school route. Jimmy, um, you know Jim Fahey, who was a, a former teammate, not a, not a teammate, who was an older guy, he played at Northeastern, uh, played in the NHL for a while, was was a kid that I kind of looked up to. He was at. Uh, Catholic Memorial going and going to Northeastern. And I just, I like the school. I think Bill Hansen, who was there at the time as an old school, legendary uh, high school hockey, who was, I mean, to be honest, he was a lunatic, complete lunatic, but he was a great hockey coach and he got the most out of all his players. And he, he grinded every single day. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough. I played two years there. We won two uh, mass, you know, super eight titles or whatever, you know, division one, super eight titles. And then it was kind of time. All right, what's the next step. And, and, you know, I'd always grown up playing uh, against Steve Jacobs jr. And his father was, um, was the coach out of Cushing. We had talked a bit, you know, and maybe some different uh, you know, along the way. And, and, you know, I made the decision to, to go to the prep school route and go to Cushing. And, you know, it was, it was a blast, but one of the biggest things that, that, you know, when I went to leave, my father said to me, so I'm a sophomore in high school, what, 14, 15 years old. Uh, and he's like, if you, you know, if you're going to make the decision to go and make, you know, that next step and play in prep school, he's like, it's your decision to, 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 you know, it's ultimately it's your conversation to go have with Bill Hansen, who was an intimidating guy. He was, he was like, he was a nut. So I had to go in and he's like, I'm not calling him. Like I'm a high school coach, dude. I, I wouldn't want one of my players leaving. So 
I went in, I had to sit down in his office. I'm sure I came up with some different excuses, like maybe it's going to be cheaper for my parents or something <laughs> like that to, to go to a, you know, $50,000 a year prep school as opposed to a $5,000 Catholic school. But I, I came up with some type of excuses and, and said, hey, you know, it's time for me. I feel I've, I've, I've made a solid contribution and go to that, um, you know, and go play in prep school. What was that prep school experience like? Cause it was, uh, I, I just got done listening a couple of days ago to your, um, your podcast with Megan Duggan, who also went to, uh, to Cushing. And one of the things that she talked about that was a pretty, you know, a pretty big part of her time there was just like the extra time that you get to just have open ice and there's no coaches out there. It didn't seem like it was just you and whoever else wanted to be on the ice. And, uh, it's just you, you there to get better. And I always feel like the best players in the world, like really value that ice. Like they're the ones that are there. They're the ones that are number one, like putting in the work, but they don't really see it as work. They're like, they're having fun it's what they love to do being out there when nobody else is out there or when very few other people are out there so um when it came to that kind of like open ice time was that something that was a pretty big thing for you too yeah I mean there was a couple things obviously you know Steve Jacobs like I talked about and and Bill Troy who was also up there um my first year you know just phenomenal guys and phenomenal coaches and they want the best for you the other thing that you know that I guess making that transition to prep school was it's a little bit, you know, it was your first time for me, besides like going away in a summer tournament and different things like that, being on my own. So I remember getting my class schedule and my first two periods of the day were free. And then my last two. So I'm like, Oh, this is great. Like I can sleep till nine and then, you know, go to class. And then at the end of the day, I have my, my lunch and and whatever. So the first day, um, I went, you know, now I go to go to the dining hall before my class and the breakfast is closed. And I'm like, oh boy, like, what, what do I do here? So now I have to go like my neck, you know, whatever it was, four or five classes in a row without eating. And, and then, you know, end the day, go to the cafeteria. So I learned real quick on my own. It was like, all right, I got to get up early. We had the option, like behind the rink, there was pucks and nets that were shut out that were, that were left out. I'd go up there, I'd shoot pucks, I'd work out, you know, do whatever it was, push-ups, sit-ups, different things like that. And, you know, work on my game, come down, hit the dining hall, grab a breakfast, grab a shower, and then go to class for the, for the rest of the day. So that was a real, like, right away, it was like, I better, you know, I, I, I kind of figured it out. You know what I mean? If I want to take this thing seriously, I can't stay in bed all day and then, you know, just try to survive the rest of the day. So that was a, a you know, a maturity level thing that I think at, you know, as a, as a junior in high school, which I was at the time, it really helped me. And then in terms of the, the extra ice time and, and, you know, shinny hockey or free skates, whatever they want to call it, that was kind of open for the, for the girls and the boys teams. It was just another thing. Like you said, like we talked about before, we loved it. Like we loved, we loved going out and being able to play and mess around and work on your skills and work on your game. Um, and it made us better players. I mean, my junior year at Cushing, I think we had every one of our guys ended up playing division one hockey. So you're going out and you're messing around playing shinny hockey with guys that played division one. We had seven defensemen, all seven of them, um, my, that were, you know, juniors and seniors played division one hockey. So it was, you know, you, you, you challenge yourself every day you were out there and same with the forwards. I and mean, we had guys like Mike Woodford that was, you know, was going to Michigan and Ben Murphy and Danny Murphy that both, you know, Harvard, Maine, uh, the, the list kind of went on and on. So you were, you were out there against guys that were bad, you know, for me, I always looked at them like they were way better than I was, you know what I mean? So I was just trying to do whatever I possibly could to, to keep up and get better. That's awesome. That must've been so much fun. 
Oh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a blast that team, you know, that my junior year, I think we, we lost one game that year at Cushing and it was the finals, uh, one, nothing to St. Sebastian. So it still stings. And obviously Sebby's at the time was, was loaded with guys like Noah Welch, who I'm sure you played against, you know, Brian Boyle and Mikey Morris, who was a former teammate of mine was the first rounder from San Jose played at Northeastern, um, you know, different, different, like they were, they were stacked. It was, there was a, a really good team and, Dave Cacciola was the goalie. And I remember he must've made 50, 60 saves that, that, you know, in that prep school final, but yet still, I, I don't think I've still uh, got over it. <laughs> There's always a few. I can tell you as a Cornell alum, I wasn't there at the time, but uh, when they lost to you guys in the uh, frozen four, that's one that they still haven't gotten over, especially that high sticking call um, yeah, that everybody yeah, that still was, uh, talks about. <laughs> yeah. That was my freshman year. That was obviously a, uh, that was, I mean, that would talk about a great experience being a freshman and, and, you know, being able to, uh, to, you know, to, to, I wouldn't say it like for me, again, you talked about, I was able to go right to UNH at, you know, I, I did my four years of high school and I went and played and, you know, it was a big step. Obviously you had, you know, I mean, you're playing against full grown men, you know, so it was a, uh, it was a challenge, but as the season went on, I started to get more and more comfortable being in there and in the lineup and, you know, playing, um, you know, taking care of my end first, which obviously at prep school, you're kind of wailing and dealing out there. And, and so it was, it was, it was fun, but that was a blast. And obviously I don't think it didn't matter who we, who, who won the Cornell uh, UNH game that year, that Minnesota team was an absolute. Oh my God. Vanek. Who else did they have? Vanek Ballard. They had a bunch of guys. uh, Paul Martin. uh, I mean, they had, they were loaded. And Vanek was a, maybe a freshman at the time. And he probably had like four goals and two assists in the finals. I was probably about dash five too. <laughs> I think the coaches did their best job to try to keep me off the ice them as possible. But <laughs> they were, uh, yeah, they were, they were loaded. Well, let me ask you this. Cause we haven't asked too many people about this uh, that have been on the podcast. Cause I don't know how many we've had that went in as true freshmen, but you know, a lot of people that aren't in the hockey world or are parents of kids who are listening, who might not have an older hockey player or they didn't play hockey themselves. You know, I, I I talk to them in my training company and they want their kids to go right out of high school. And in today's world, that doesn't happen very often, especially from the Midwest. A lot of people are going to have to go play at least one year, maybe two, maybe even three years of juniors. Uh, looking back on your career, uh, retrospectively, is that the right word I'm looking for, Tove, Mr. Cornell? You're bringing him um, up. Sounds did great. you go to Cornell too? Nah, I just, I just talked with this guy a lot, but, um, <laughs> would you have gone in right away as a true freshman or would you have maybe gone and played a year of juniors looking back and knowing, you know, well, now I'm going in a year later, a year stronger, you know, I'm, I'm more of a quote unquote man, as opposed to going in as maybe a little bit more of immature, a boy kind of thing, looking back, would you do the same thing or would you have gone maybe one or two years of juniors? I mean, honestly, I think that's a great question. It's something I, I never thought about. Um, but I think it ultimately, it probably would have helped me, right? If I went in and had a year in the USHL under my belt where I played, you know, 60 games or whatever that USHL schedule is and got a year stronger and bigger and faster. Um, I mean, when I went into school, I was 18, 19 years old. I was probably, I mean, I remember back in the day, right? It was like bigger, stronger, all that type of stuff. So I was like, I remember putting 185 down on my, uh, on my, you know, the six feet 185 and being like, I was probably about a buck 60, right? Like, there's no way I was, I was skin and bones and, 
and just, you know, survived off my, my skill. Thank God for the big sheet out there. So I could avoid some contact, especially I wasn't the, the fastest guy, but I think ultimately, yeah, it, it probably would have, um, probably would have helped. I, I, I definitely don't think it would have hurt in any ways, but I, you know, to get back to now, I think unless you're that Jack Eichel of the world and Noah Hannafin of the world, um, you know, who, who can go and make that impact right away. I mean, not many guys are doing it right, right from that college, right from prep school anymore. It's just, it's almost impossible because you see, I mean, some of these guys, like you said, in the Midwest and, um, I mean, even look at like UMass Lowell, what's the average age of, of their, their freshmen. I mean, that, you know, I remember one of the Andrew Leach who I played with, he was, he was going, he had played two years in the, in the USHL, I think in Des Moines, when we were freshmen, he was, he was 21 years old. And he's like, Hey, you want anything at the liquor store? And I'm like, what? Like, where, where are you going? You know? And he's like, Oh, I'm 21. I'm like, what? Like, that was crazy. You see that, that trend now There's there's so many, um, so many of these schools in order to keep up and, and, and play with the BCs and the BUs of the world that are getting those, you know, stud national development team guys are, are, are going that, that road. And I think that's what, you know, I said at the beginning, like at 15 years old, 14 years old, there's still a long way. Of, that's six years till you get to college if you're 14, Re- like realistically, you know, I, I, I see kids around here that play at UMass Boston and different division three schools um, that are, that are 21, 22 years old. Like they're, they're to, to play at that level, you've got to be old now. Yeah, for sure. That's, I think it's something just with social media and, and how crazy it gets the, the youth hockey machine. I think everybody thinks that things get fast forwarded a lot when in reality, you know, we see the, the 15 year olds and not so much anymore because they, they made, they changed the rules. So you can't commit until, you know, right before your junior year, but thank God they did. They oh did. God. They, you that, know, that, that's outrageous. Best yeah. Ever. Yeah. Um, I, I think they should even go back another year, but that's my opinion. Um, but uh, anyway, so like, you know, you have everybody kind of thinks that everything is so fast forwarded and you have to, you know, be professionalized at the youngest of ages to, to get to college hockey or pro hockey or whatever. But at the end of the day, like the actual numbers, the average age of a commitment is, is still over 18 years old, you know, and the average age of a freshman is over 19 years old. And the average age of college teams is like 22, 23 years old, you know, and, and you're right. Like there's been a lot of teams nowadays that have kind of, they know that they're not going to get the guys that, that BC, BU, Michigan are going to get. So they say, okay, how, what's our competitive advantage going to be then we're not going to have the talent. All right, well, let's take a lot of 20 year olds then Um, because a a 20 year old with two more years of experience, and maybe they've been a captain at, at their prep school, or they've been a captain in their junior team, you know, they're, they might be just as, if not more ready to go as a, as a, blue chip 18 year old as well. Um, and, and it's, it's the same thing. Like we, we talked about before, everybody's got a different path, but you know, I think back when we were playing and back when you were playing in prep school, I think it was a little bit more normal for an 18 year old to go in nowadays. It's like, you know, a unicorn. And so I just it, take your time, like take your time, marinate, uh, ripen, whatever, whatever you want to say, whatever the lingo is nowadays, I just think you can never just- be over ready. <laughs> right. Create your own path a bit too. Like we live yeah. in a world nowadays of like instant gratification, right? Like anything you want, you get like the days of going to the library and checking out a book and reading a stat, like, or, or trying to find something they're, <laughs> they're long gone. It's like, you just pull up your phone and you look at it. And it's the same thing with, with kids that are, um, 
you know, that everybody's like, oh, my kid needs to be elite. My kid needs to be elite. And think, and it's like, just relax. You know what I mean? There's, there's so many different stories of kids that didn't play elite hockey all the way up. Um, and it's fine. You know what I mean? It's fine. It's fine to not make teams. My older boy, you know, he was playing elite hockey at Mike's and Squirts. And then by Pee Wee's, I, I pulled him back to the to the second tier team. And it's, you know, it's benefited him. He's, he's fine. And, you know, he'll develop hopefully and, and, you know, eventually play um, high school hockey when the time comes, you know what I mean? And, and, and then you never know what, what happens. And, and that's the conversation I've had with him is, you know, just keep working, put in the off ice work, you know, maybe the on ice work in the summertime. Now, you, now you're getting to that age where you have to start taking things a little bit more serious. Right. So, you know, whether it's skill camps and, and, and skating, uh, a bit more, not burning out playing in, you know, crazy lunatic tournaments that mean absolutely nothing where you, where a coach is screaming at you to dump the puck in the zone. Like you're not going to get anything out of that, but, you know, go and work on your skills, work on your on ice and your off ice habits. And, and, you know, you got five or six years, it's not over. I think that also goes back to what we were talking about earlier is the it depends thing. And it, everything depends on every situation, but then whatever course you wind up taking or having to take, or you get cut and you got to play for a team, maybe you didn't want to, it depends, but it, it doesn't matter. Make whatever course you wind up on, make that work for you. Because we, we had Cam Jans, who's one of my good buddies on the show, I think it was like episode seven. And to hear him say like, everything that happened good in my career was because of me and everything bad that happened in my career was because of me. And he said, you just need to always look in the mirror. Don't point fingers, look in the mirror, whatever happened, take responsibility. And then whatever happens, like make it work for you. Like you, you get cut from a USHL, you got to go play in the NAHL or NCDC or whatever. Make it work for you. Don't pout, get to the gym every single day, get on the ice early every single day make that path work for you because there is no one path that will make everyone successful what did uh what was it the gm uh callie larson was that his name who who came on tof who, who told yeah. us the stat about ushl i was telling my younger guys in the gym that the other day one of them was you know getting a little big big in his britches talking about being drafted in the ushl and i go hey we had a GM on the other day, and I probably absolutely butchered the stat. But do you remember what the exact stat was? I, I think it was something to the effect of like only th- it was somewhere between maybe thirty-five and forty percent of kids that were drafted in the phase one of the USHL draft actually played an entire year in the USHL. Yeah, played. I'll have to I'll have to fact check that uh, after this, and maybe in the intro uh, I can say it. But it was something ridiculous where yeah. he said that, and we were like, "Wow, what a stat!" play a full 60 games over the course of their junior career, yeah. not even their first year. I believe it was a full year, but over their junior eligibility, less than half of the kids drafted in that phase one. I mean, that's, that's a big stat for guys who, who take a different path and, you know, think that they're not as good, like make it work for you. Right. Right. And use it as motivation, right? Yeah. Use it as motivation as, as something that, you know, you can strive to and, and, and let it light a little fire under your ass and be pissed off because that's going to help you. Um, you know, like you said, there's exceptions to every rule, right? There's always going to be that absolute stud. There's going to be those, you know, those guys out there. But, you know, for the most part, I, I couldn't agree more. Create your own path, go out and, and, and work and work for everything that, you, that you're going to get. And that's part of, um, you know, something that, that some of these parents, I think, get in the way that, that they're calling coaches and all oh, my kid needs to be, he's not making this elite team. So I'm going to go to this elite team. And it's like, dude, just let them play at the right level. Let them, let them 
get better and improve. And, you know, it might not be next year. It might be three, four years down the road. But by the time, you know, things get get more and more serious, he'll be okay if he continues and works and, and you know, goes and, and, and goes out and tries to get it. Love that. I love that. Well, I want to ask you a hockey question now, uh, cause I got the chance to speak to a few of your, uh, your former UNH wildcat teammates, um, oh, back in the day, all good stuff. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Vex, I got a good quote for you, um, from a movie. I, I'm going to, so you got to name the movie, right? So go guy goes in and he goes, where can I find this person? You got to name the person. He's in the Guinness book of world records for the raddest effing dude alive. Oh my God. I a hundred percent know that I've seen that movie many times, but I literally can't think of it. What is it? Van Wilder. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what part that is. Yes. Too. You got to chew the choach. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but so, yeah, I mean, your teammates, I, that instantly came to mind when I was talking to them. Cause they were like, man, he's the best, like the best dude ever. But one of the things they also said was just like, man, could he run a power play? Like man, offensively unreal. And I don't know if we've actually had this conversation with anybody on the podcast, but like, you know, you being the role that you played in and excelling so much playing a, an offensive role as a defenseman, you know, what do you think if, if, uh, you know, there's some coaches that are listening to this that want to teach certain things, or if there's kids that might be playing in that role, um, you know, in, on their teams, what do you think is really important if you want to be a, like a really successful offensive defenseman in today's game? I mean, I think number one, you got to have poise and patience with the, with the puck. Right. And I think one of the things that I always, I mean, I always did was, you know, we always played street hockey and roller hockey and things like that during the off season. And I think it helped me overall just be patient and handle the puck. And I tried to, I tried to see the ice and I tried to visually, you know, visualize and make plays, you know what I mean? And, and I think one of the biggest things is you can't be afraid to make mistakes. You're going to turn pucks over. You're going to get shot shots blocked, but if you can, um, you know, if you can execute, execute and see the ice and, and have vision and, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, get your shot through to the net, then, you know, good things are going to happen. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't always say it can be a little muffin that gets through, but as long as it has eyes and it's tippable or, or, you know, little shot passes and things like that. I think, uh, you know, that was one of the things that, that, you know, I was always fairly good at. My father was a, was a defenseman and he always kind of, you know, Hey, watch this guy, watch Ray Bork, watch, you know, whoever it may be, uh, you know, for these young kids to, to in, in, in today's game, uh, watch what they do on the power play and, and, you know, go out and try to try to emulate them, try to do what, what, what they're doing. And, you know, I was never, um, I was never the fastest. I, I was, I wasn't, a, wasn't a great skater, but I just tried to, I tried to think and I tried to just, you know, think of what, what the opposing team might be trying to do and, and look guys off and, and have boys. And again, I think it all comes back to playing other sports and playing quarterback and flag football. You know what I mean? If you're just going to stare down your passing lane, like that thing, the, everybody in the rink knows what you're doing. So you've got to learn those deceptive moves and, and, you know, winding up to take a shot and, and not always just firing it into a guy's shin pads and things like that, I think are, are so valuable, but you know, it's hard to teach um, that poise, you know, I like my, my own nine team um, that I coach right now. So they're, they're first year PUEs and it's a good group. They're a good group of kids, good group. They, they work their, their, their asses off um, and they're talented. And I'm like, guys, just relax. You know what I mean? Like you have two minutes, it doesn't have to be that get the puck to the net and, and try to score. Just get the puck and just 
let it work around. Let let the other team make a mistake. You know what I mean? They're gonna get caught out of position if you're you know moving the puck properly and you have some poise with the puck. But when you get it and you just rip it, like there's there's good shots and there's bad shots. You know what I mean? And and I would say you know if if I just got the puck at the point and just fight it to the net, um, it's a bad shot. You know what I mean? There's no traffic there. There's no there's you know most goalies at any level are gonna actually they're gonna go and be able to make that save. So they'll say thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They whistle and then they get fresh legs out there. You know what I mean? So I try to just say to my guys, just you know, relax. And again, I'm not we're not sitting there working on the power play like we would be at the at the junior and college level. You know what I mean? But a couple times, and even if it's five on zero, just in the zone, splitting up in the stations, and I'll take a group and just guys, just be patient. Look for your different options. Know where your outs are, and 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 just try to make plays and create. You know, and if you turn it over, so what? And I think that's part of it too. Is coaching is you know, if a kid turns the puck over on the power play or makes a bit like teach him, but you're not gonna you're not gonna reprimand them. You know what I mean? That Keith Yandel's not gonna get uh, yanked off the ice on the power play because he turns it over. That's part of his game. It's part of it's it's part of uh, you know the Hughes, Quinn Hughes, you know what I mean? Grinelli, whatever his name is, uh, <laughs> you know, those guys, they, 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 they risk, you know, high risk, high reward type players. And, and if they t- turn it over, it's like, Hey, you know, try to make a little better decision next time. But you, we, we still, you have to encourage these young kids at the younger ages to, to go out and make plays. It's literally exactly what I was just about to ask you. Cause I looked up your points in college and obviously you had a lot of points on the back end and Tope's talking about how you played Number one, did your coaches growing up, did they allow you to make those mistakes? What did they say to you when you did make them, when you were trying to, to make a play or make an extra move or something like that? And I was going to ask you, what do you say to your players? But I think you just answered that. Yeah. Sorry, I can get a little long. No, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. We, we find that, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard. You're behind the bench. And I think a lot of coaches get caught up in wanting to win the game when I personally think it should all be, except maybe at, at 18s or if you're in a tournament or, or a championship, like I think it should be more about development than winning, even though you want to win. You got to find that balance. But too many coaches say, I want you to make plays. And then as soon as a kid makes one mistake, they're on the bench, they're getting screened at. Why'd you do that? And it's like, well, do you think that's allowing, helping him to want to make? That's not helping anything. That's stifling. Right, right. I think, I mean, one of the things that I try to do, and like I talked about my career before, um, you know, my coaches, we coach my, my, my nine-year-old team together. And it's, we, we, we kind of say a lot of like, Hey, good try. You know what I mean? Like right idea there, you know what I mean? And it turns over, or, you know, I had a kid the other day, he's coming in and he's like staring, he's, he was staring down, um, on a two-on-one. He was staring at the guy he was, you know, he was on the two-on-one with and ended up, uh, you know, looking that guy off and shooting, like he didn't score, but like, that's a great play. Like for a nine, 10 year old kid to try to do that is, is really good. You know what I mean? And then he tried it again and the key got broken up, but it's like, Hey, that's the right idea. You know what I mean? Like maybe next time try to get the shot off a little quicker or, or, you know, you don't have to stare him down, like from the blue line all the way in, you know what I mean? But that's the right idea. You know what I mean? So you have to allow these guys to, 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 to make plays and you've got to coach them and, and teach them, right. There's certain pressure points in, in a game of hockey that are never going to change right at the blue line. You're in a puck battle. The right play is going to be, you know, chip it out or maybe bump it back to your defenseman and, and you know, try to get a re- regroup in and things like that. There's those certain scenarios that are really non-negotiable, right, where you can't 
you know, you don't want to turn the puck over at the blue line. There's a, you know, it's a one on three and you're trying to dangle through three different, three different guys. It's, you know, maybe, you know, the right play there is to, to, you know, Hey, you're in a pressure situation. You don't have any support. Your teammates are changing, just chip the puck in the corner and go get it, you know? So, you know, but I, I, unfortunately, I know from some of the guys I coached against, it's like, you know, dump it, dump it, dump it, <laughs> you know, screaming like a lunatic. And it's like, what does that even mean? You know? And again, it's, you know, you teach them why the right play there is yes, we encourage you and we want you to make plays, but you know, here's why at this point in this, in this certain game, you should chip the puck in deep, right? Or, Hey, you're in a battle. You're the left wing. You got a D crashing down. And maybe it's just deflect the pass and just get it out. Right. And just relieve pressure at the end of the shift. But you have to be able to, as a coach, you have to be able to teach that and you have to see it. Right. A lot of coaches, unfortunately, they don't, they haven't played at those levels and they don't, they don't really don't know the game that well. And I'm not trying to say like I do better than anybody, but I feel I've, I've been a pretty good student of the game. And, and again, back to your original question, you know, I think my father and, and, uh, you know, Mark McConnell, who, whose son, Brian was a great player at BU was a second round pick at, of, of Calgary. They encouraged us to go out and make plays. And that's why we were, you know, we had success. And as Witt talks about all the time, we were able to win that, uh, that Wee world champion. <laughs> Did that kid see that from Connor McDavid? Did you see that goal? What was it last week where I think he literally got the puck at the blue line and looked at the guy who was on the two on one with the entire time. I wonder if that kid, saw yeah. it from that and then tried it. Cause that would be awesome at nine years old. Yeah. That would be awesome. Right. Right. No. Yeah. He definitely like, I mean, that's one of the things would just, Hey, go out and watch and don't just watch the, I think one of the things that gets lost in, in, in here is like, go out and actually watch the game. Right. Don't just watch the, you know, I love NHL on the fly and watching the highlights. Right. But you've got to watch the game. You've got to learn it and, and, and see it, you know, from all different perspectives, like Patrice Bergeron, like, you guys in Boston, Bergeron's on Nesson every every game. Like, go out and watch. Just watch what he does and watch those little plays because some of it's, you know, it's not – it doesn't show up at all on the highlight film, you know, but it, it, it it's what makes him such a great player. But, I yeah, I'm sure he was watching the highlight and saw it, but it's also something that we've been trying to – you know, I try to at the younger levels is, is, is try to teach and try to – you know, hey – look this guy off or maybe, you know, the goalie's going to, you know, you want the goalie to think that you're going to shoot and then you slide it across the crease or, or whatever. So work on those little deceptive type moves. It's so true. I mean, I remember when I was recruiting, uh, when I was coaching at Cornell, you know, we go and watch some midget games and I want to stab a pencil in my eye just because, you know, you're just, you're, you're recruit. You want like the most important thing in my watching of you is I want to see you make plays. <laughs> so for all the coaches out there, <laughs> if you want to help your kids move along, that is a very important thing. Like they have to be able to make plays. And uh, I heard it from a youth coach a, a while back and, and it's always kind of stuck with me and I've always tried to use it as a as a youth coach is like encourage them to make plays and they're obviously encourage them to make mistakes but it's also got it both ways I'm gonna let you be creative I'm gonna let you make plays you're gonna make mistakes but once you do you better get your butt back like we have to like it's got to go both ways here you know and I think that's a really good happy medium for a lot of youth coaches is you know allow them to make the mistakes and stuff just like what you were talking about but also hey like we got to make sure we're getting back to here Right. There's nothing more frustrating than watching just mindless hockey, right? That oh. A guy gets it and, you know, carries it through the neutral zone, carries it around the net, 
does a circle in the offensive zone. It's like, what, what just got accomplished? You know what I mean? And now, you know, I think that was something that, that, you know, I tried to always be good at. And, and I think to, to add to your point um, is that, you know, compete level is a skill, right? So if you turn the puck over and you just quit and you have bad body language and you give up on the play, like you're going to probably sit down next to me. But if you get back and you work your butt off to, to, to correct that mistake or break up a play or back check hard, like that's a, it's a, it's a valued skill. You know what I mean? You've got to be able to compete in all three zones. And, and that's something that is so important, but yeah, it's a great point that by, you know, the, 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 the coach you're talking about, these guys, they have to go and, you know, you turn it over, get back, just work. You know what I mean? Because the days are just like, go, you know, that there's nothing that drives me more crazy than a kid turns it over and then just skates off. It's like, Oh no, no, now it's your problem. You know what I mean? You take the minus. <laughs> we, I remember kids growing up, literal sprints to the bench to make sure that they weren't getting the minus. If there was like a breakaway and oh, stuff. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> where I'm like pushing them back out there. Like, no, dude. <laughs> Right there. Seven was on the ice because I had enough minuses in my day. Like I didn't need, I didn't need, I didn't need anybody else's. <laughs> you know who, Tope, you know who is so good at that? And I know he listens to every episode and we've had him on is Stasny, Paul Stasny, even in juniors, like he'd make, obviously he's disgusting. He makes some great breakout pass. He'd be dog tired in the D zone and he'd see he made a play to make it like a, an odd man rush. And you see him kind of floating right by the bench. So if he had to come <laughs> off, he would, but if there was a goal, he's getting that plus and it, dude, it, it, it worked. Oh yeah. You need that. Good for him. I mean, he, and obviously he was, uh, he's the one that played at Denver, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was awesome. I played against him. I mean, obviously unbelievable career, great player. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's probably learned from his family. Like, dude, no, you yeah. gotta, you gotta get that extra plus. Out there, you know? <laughs> that's a, I, I do the old skate to the bench and, uh, like pretend to, to step off, but make sure they saw the back of the jersey. <laughs> but, if, if, but, if, but if it was a minus, you're sprinting off, like hiding, ducking down. I got a good story for you guys. So literally my last, my last, um, shift of my career. I'm playing in the central hockey league in Rio Grande Valley. You know, everybody's got hopes and dreams of playing in the freaking NHL thought I had a pretty decent college career. And I'm, you know, two years later playing in the central league. And I knew it was my last game. Cause I was going to coach at Miami the next year. And, uh, it was just a tough year all around kind of thing. Just, you know, it is what it is. And then literally my last shift, it, we're losing like six to two in the game. We, we were out of the playoffs. So we knew it was our last game. And sure enough, you know, they go down on a breakaway with like a minute left in the game. I'm playing center that game. The center's rushing off to get off the ice. I jump on, I take three steps, boom, breakaway goal minus last shift of my career was, was one of those freaking minuses. Yeah. I'm sure I had, I had a a few along the way myself. Yeah, There's (laughs) there's nothing worse than getting that now, at least like, I guess with some of those, extra stats they do and things like that. Right. It, it, it at least kind of corrects, you know, cause some of the years you're like, you're looking, I'm like, Oh, you were minus 15, but it was like, you're on the ice for empty net is and stuff like there was nothing worse than taking that empty net. Oh, uh, those got me every year. Oh, I don't know why they don't time. change that rule. That That's rule should have been changed a long time ago. You should oh. not get a minus for being on the ice on six on five. I agree. That's I think there would be so many more goals scored if they did that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that, that's so frustrating. It was like, I think even Ryan Whitney one year, he was in Edmonton. He like was on the ice for like some ridiculous, like he'd probably say it was like 15 minuses due to like, 
you know, them being down a goal at the end of the game, he's out there. Obviously, like you're out there for a reason, right? And the and the coach sees that. And you know, you end up like a minus one or minus two because of that extra goal. There's nothing worse. Well, especially, you know, at at that level when it maybe you're out there for six against and that's, that's minus six. So instead of being plus two on the year, you're minus four. And I, I like in contract negotiations. All signs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, crazy. Well, before we let you go, Brian, this has been awesome, but I didn't want to ask you cause obviously you've been a, a youth hockey director and you're, you're steeped in the youth hockey game now. Um, it's funny. Like I was telling my, my players the other day, I'm like, you guys have no idea. Coaching youth hockey is way harder than coaching in college was (laughs) like, it's, it's just so much different. And there's so much crap that goes along with it that you don't have to deal with at the other levels. But, um, what, what's like the biggest thing you've learned number one in, you know, having played at the highest levels and, and, you know, having the career that you did and then getting into youth hockey. And I'm sure it was a lot different than what you would imagine when going in. Um, what, what do you think is like the biggest thing you've learned that parents or coaches can kind of take through their their kids youth hockey experience I mean I, I again I think the funny thing is is it doesn't matter where you played or what you did a lot of these parents no matter what you do or what you say they think that they know more than you right which is it's is crazy right you get a guy that's never played before and they're like oh well I read this or I saw this and I'm like Dude, just relax. Like, you know, I'm trying to teach you and, and show you the, the way. Uh, and so it's got to get, you know, you have to get good, good, good coaches and good parents and surround yourself with good people. And then, you know, I think this overall, like you said, it, you know, just play at your level, have fun. As long as the kid loves it and goes to the rink and don't get caught up in the, you know, the hoopla or the crazy summer tournaments and traveling all over the place and, and all that stuff. I think that stuff is just so overrated. Um, let your kid be a kid and have fun and just enjoy the ride. Like if he, if he plays in high school, he plays in college, you know, it's, it takes a lot to play at the division three level. Now it really does. Like you have to be a good hockey player. So, you know, just enjoy it and don't live vicariously through them. You know what I mean? Just because you didn't play, uh, you know, division one hockey or, or you didn't play pro hockey, then, you know, enjoy it. And, and like you said, like we worked our butts off our whole life. Right. And end up, you know, you were in the central hockey league, you know what I mean? Like making what two fifty a week, like a little more, but yeah, not, not, not a lot. Like I know I was in the East coast league and it was like, they're like, Oh, you're going to be one of the highest paid uh, rookies in the league. You're getting 600 bucks a week. I was like, <laughs> Oh, uh, Oh, to play pro hockey like this is this was my lifelong dream you know so, <laughs> like this uh you know they, it was again i think there's so many good people that you can meet in hockey throughout the the years and just you know let your kid enjoy it and and make these relationships and things like that like us we've never met before right but we just it's like sitting in a locker room and that's the best part about hockey you know what i mean we all start you know, in the learner skate, and then we all end up in the men's leagues and just having a blast. And we, you know, we're fortunate enough to be able to talk about it. And we've made so many good friendships along the way. Like all of my really, really close friends are just, you know, guys that I played hockey with guys that I, you know, jobs that I've gotten, I got done, you know, I was my, my first job that I got after playing in the East coast league was through Steve Jacobs from Cushing that my second job was uh, through Kevin O'Sullivan that coached me at, at Catholic Memorial was an assistant coach, you know what I mean? Both in the hockey world. And then, you know, even now just having that camaraderie, like, you know, with, with, with my job, 
uh, in the Boston police, we have a hockey team and there's nothing better. Like we'll go and play these different, um, you know, we'll play Toronto and Chicago and some different New York and different uh, fire and police departments. And it's, it's a great escape. It's something that, that, that's a blast and we can do the rest of our lives. So just, you know, my, my biggest takeaway is just enjoy it. You know, you guys look at, you know, I love what you guys are doing here. Look, you know, the relationship that, that Mots and I through hockey uh, we made is it's, there's nothing better. You know what I mean? We're on the same page. We, we have a blast. We talk hockey all the time, just about every little thing. And it's, it's, you know, and it's not just because we played, you know, Mott's played in the NHL and I played at UNH and, and, you know, a little bit in the A and the coast, like who cares? You know what I mean? We're all just normal guys and just enjoy it. And, and, and don't, you know, that you shouldn't think, don't think that you're better than anybody or anything like that. That's, that's one of the, one of the craziest things somebody said to me re- recently was like, I was coaching a, a, a 16 U team and a, a kid said to me, Hey, I'm on, I won't say the team name, but, Hey, I'm on the 06, ba ba ba. You know, why aren't I out there in the last minute of the period? And he was like, what? Like that entitlement is, is not part of the game. And that's not something that, that is a learned trait and something that me as a coach, if I ever heard one of my kids, I don't care if we go undefeated for seven years, like you're never going to carry yourself that way. You know what I mean? So look for that in a coach make sure your coaches are, are, are those type of people that are going to teach them the right way of playing hockey and also be good people on and off the ice. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's such good information and what you're saying too, just about just being able to do it. Like doing this podcast is the best part of my week. Cause I feel like I'm back in the locker room, you know, and, uh, and Vex and I get the chance to talk to, to people like you who, who we haven't met before, but have, have listened to and, and learned a lot about. And we've talked to some people who we've known our whole lives and it's just like, it doesn't matter. It just, it's always fun to talk hockey and, right. and every, like we were saying, everybody ends up in the beer league eventually. Right. So. And your, and your reputation perceived yourself, right. If you were a bad guy and a bad teammate, like nobody's coming on this show. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to talk hockey with you. You know what I mean? And that's one of the things you should pride yourself in is, you know, be a good dude, be a good locker room guy and and get along with your teammates. And that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? You're going to have those, those great relationships. And now every time I see a former teammate or a a guy, like it's a blast, you know what I mean? And that's one of the things I, I, I talk to my brother about is like, he tries to be a good teammate. You know what I mean? Just all the guys, you know, whether it's offering up his house to stay whether it's, you know, hosting Thanksgiving dinners and things like that during the hurricane, people coming up to his house and, and staying in Boston, just, you know, you, you, you love those guys and you'll do anything for them. And, and they know that you have their back and, and, and ultimately they're going to have your back, which is, which is what hockey's all about. For sure. For sure. So with that, you know, if you can just tell our listeners a little bit about what you got going on right now with the rink shrinks. And I would imagine most of our, uh, most of our listeners have, have heard you before on, on spit and chiclets. Um, that must've been a, a lot of fun to do, but now you've kind of taken that and done your own thing with, with Mike motto. And it's awesome. I mean, uh, a lot of your guys' episodes were talking about very similar stuff, um, as, as we are. And, and I just think it's such a great resource for, for any kids or coaches or parents out there. Uh, so if you can just like, let, uh, let everybody know what you got going on with your own podcast so they can uh, tune in to what you guys are doing too. Yeah, no, really appreciate that. And, um, you know, it, it kind of all started. It was, you know, we've, we've been lucky so far, obviously, uh, like I talked about Ryan Whitney being a former teammate, he was fortunate enough to bring me on because I, you know, I was telling him some crazy stories that I've seen in the rink and things like that. So we went through uh, some different things. 
Um, but again, I'm a father, I'm a coach. Like, I don't want to, you know, I, I try to keep it as PG as possible. <laughs> and who better to, um, to team up with than, than Mike Motto, who's obviously his reputation precedes himself. He was an unbelievable player, NHL defenseman, Hobie Baker winner, you name it. Um, and he's a better person off the ice than he, than he ever, uh, ever was on the ice, really. Like he's just an ultimate guy, ultimate team guy, just a good, good person. And, uh, and we've been lucky enough to get some, some good guests on and, you know, former NHL guys and, and, you know, different people like that, 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 um, you know, can kind of educate people. And that's kind of was the goal when we sat down and talk is like, you know, we want to keep it kind of PG 13. We want something that, that parents can listen to heading to the rink with their kids. Uh, obviously we try to add some humor to it. Like I tried to with, 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 you know, spit and chiclets, but, you know, on more of a PG version and, you know, just educate people and talk people through, you know, similar to what you guys are doing, just talk people through this process and and just relax and, and make it about the kid and have fun. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the message is, is, is try to just, um, you know, Mozart and I are really on the same page about being multi-sport athletes, playing others, uh, doing other things, not just sitting in front of the PlayStation controller all day long, you know what I mean? And not, not talking about their, their seven-year-old, like the, the, the next thing since sliced bread, you know, and that's, that's something that we've always, um, you know, to get back to my father, you know, he would, if you asked him today after, you know, my brother's played 900 some odd games in the league, he'd be like, he would tell you seven negative things about him before he said one positive thing. You know what I mean? Because he's like, I'm not going to pat myself on my kid on the back and talk about how good he is. He's my kid. I'm going to, I'm going to crap all over him. You know what I mean? So we try to just make light of, of, of some of these stories and, and, you know, we try to uh, get some questions through our mailbag and just answer people and try to provide great guests. But again, it's very similar to what you guys are doing here. I've really enjoyed listening to your guys' stuff. I haven't caught all of them. Uh, I think you guys are 150 or so episodes in, right? Which is, which is huge, <laughs> getting, getting close. But yeah, the, the, you know, just try to really be uh, informative and uh, educational and, and try to you know, help people along this process and, and just um, enjoy the ride, really. Love it. I also want to say, uh, you know, I, I don't know if anybody caught that, but Brian is a police officer in Boston as well. And I just want to say thank you for your service. I, yep. I lived in Boston and Providence for like three years and uh, probably shouldn't say this, but I have a slight problem speeding. And when I was with the Bruins organization <laughs> in one season alone, they let me off six tickets. So that was maybe I shouldn't say that, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty nice of the boys in blue out in Boston, taking care of the Bruins organization there. But in all seriousness, really, uh, really appreciate your service. And I, I hope uh, people are treating you well out there. No, thank you. Thank you guys. And like I said, I'm a big fan of the show and, and we'll, you know, I'd love to do this again. I think this is, uh, is great stuff. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your service. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking again here soon. Thanks, guys.